listening to We're Talking Drums, bringing extreme discussions from the world's top drummers to your ear holes. This episode is brought to you by Los Cabos Drumsticks, Canada's number one choice for drumsticks. They provide the wood you need to make the beats you deserve. Los Cabos Drumsticks. Now with your host, Corey Hoffing. Hello and welcome to episode 46 of the We're Talking Drums podcast. I'm your host, Corey Hoffing, and I hope everyone had a very awesome Halloween weekend full of lots of candy and partying and, you know, all that mischievous, spooky stuff. Um, watching all kinds of horror movies. So this week I sat down with my good friend Samantha Landa from the Anti-Queens and Conquer Divide, among many, many others. She has been on the podcast before, uh, but uh, I figured we would do something a little different. Um, And we actually talked about some of our favorite horror movies and... um, Shared some stories from being kids and, and loving trick-or-treating and, and all that type of fun stuff. So uh, without further ado, I give to you my conversation, the Halloween edition, with Samantha Landa. Samantha Landa, welcome back to the We're Talking Drums podcast. How are you doing today? I am good. Thanks so much for having me back. How are you? I'm fantastic. It is uh, early morning. Well, early enough for uh, us drummers, anyways. Uh, on the Saturday, this is this is what they would call what Devil's Night, the day before Halloween. Is that what they something kids like call that? It? Yeah, that I I always remember in like uh, high school or even elementary school. That was like the night that we'd get together, all all the guys and like go. Well, I I guess I wouldn't, but. Some people would go egg people's houses and do all the troubling things. Were you ever part of those shenanigans? No, I was a pretty good kid. Um, But when it comes to all the tricks of trick or treat, I guess, I always thought it was on Halloween itself, I guess. Like, I always felt like it was just, you know, you'd go trick or treating as a kid and then the next morning you'd wake up and all the pumpkins were smashed and there was TP all over the houses so I don't know. I always hated it though. I'm like, why are people ruining something that's supposed to be fun? I guess, but but I mean, was it was it originally supposed to be fun? Was it supposed to be like let's all get naughty and bad for a night and you know mess some stuff up? Yeah, that's I don't know. When I was a kid doing stuff like that, it was it was exciting. You know, when you're like ten to twelve and you're like, oh yeah, I'm gonna we're gonna do some stuff that we would never really do on any other night, I guess. I don't know. Uh, we ne- like Honestly, we never did anything that was uh, terrible. Other other people did, definitely, um, in our area. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, it was just, I don't know. It felt, it felt kind of good. It felt It was fun, you know, just to do something that was like, uh, yeah, I guess a little naughty, if you will. <laughs> I mean, I definitely made prank calls but i don't Mm. think it was on halloween specifically (laughs) and uh i don't know or like people going and ringing people's doorbells and running away like yeah nikki nikki nine door oh yeah yeah a little bit yeah (laughs) (laughs) but you know when you're like 10 years old and unhinged and unsupervised (laughs) and you're just wreaking havoc on the neighborhood and it's not it's not really anything threatening or 
or whatever, but annoying for sure. But yeah, I mean, I didn't really participate in a whole lot of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, like as long as you're not like putting sugar in people's gas tanks and, you know, like oh, God. blowing shit up, like then, you know, if it's just, the- <laughs> yeah, that, that'd be horrible. Yeah, harmless fun. Yeah. Harmless, yeah, harmless fun. Harmless not fun. Not putting anyone at risk. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Then it's fine. So all you kids doing shit tonight or tomorrow, because like... It, it was always like devil's night the night before Halloween was the night to go, you know, be mischievous and all that stuff. And then Halloween, you just go get your candy and hang out with your friends, whatever. I guess people uh, get up to some crazy stuff on Halloween, too. I don't know, because the more you get to be a, a teenager and stuff, I guess there's more partying and drinking and, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I almost feel like if you're in that delicate age where you're not out partying yet but you are, you're still trick-or-treating, but you're not too cool to trick-or-treat yet, that it's like, if you've got devil's night the night before, and then the night of Halloween is like forgiveness night where you're like, can you please give me candy? Even though I destroyed your front lawn last night. (laughs) Yeah. That's kind of messed up, right? You go around and you just like egg people's houses or TP their, their, their trees and and their house and everything. And then you, you go like, Hey, can I have candy bars please yeah like you have to look this person in the face as they hand you a handful of candy in your pillowcase while you have a crappy smile on your face and you're like yes thank you so much you know you're the person who i annoyed incessantly last night at like 1 a.m and (laughs) now here you are you have to look me right in the eye (laughs) that's it now how how old were you when you went when your last time uh, trick or treating. Do you remember? You know what? I, I, I pushed it as long as I could. And, but we found a way to do it guilt free because I was probably trick or treating until I was 14 or 15. But then by the time I was like 16 and I'm with my friends and we still wanted free candy, like yeah, you we really, do. we still wanted to, yeah, we still wanted to participate, but we were well aware that people always kind of, you know, the, the stereotype that, that teens would just go trick or treating and they wouldn't be in costume and they would just show up at your door with their hands held out waiting for candy. So we wanted to break the stereotype, but we still wanted to get the candy. So what we did is we all made sure we dressed up and then we wrote Halloween themed Christmas carols. So we went around and when um, people would open their doors, we would sing a Halloween themed Christmas carol to them and we were all dressed up and nobody had a problem giving us candy. They were like, oh, my God, you guys are so cute. And, you know, because we're all like, you know, five foot six and up, you know, yeah. we're clearly teenagers. But they, people were just so amused by us that they all gave us candy. So that was the last time I went trick or treating. And I was probably 16, maybe even 17. But it was totally worth it. Highly recommend. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, and you're providing entertainment. So there's no way that they can turn you down. Like, exactly. I feel like it's like the musicians go to. You're like, you know what? Please pay me. Please give me money. Please give me stuff. <laughs> I'm going to make your life a little bit nicer with music. <laughs> that's it. That's it. That's that's what we do, right? You know, they provide entertainment, people love it, and then we get some candy out of the deal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> And exposure. Lots of delicious exposure. Oh, I love the exposure. Oh, <laughs> so many exposure bucks. Just like, I can't Ooh. wait to cash them in one day. Uh, yeah, that piggy bank's full. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's getting there. Uh, yeah, I remember the last time that I went, um, it was just, 
it, it was just awkward leading up to it. We all knew that it was that we were way too old for it, like way, way too old. It was just like I think it was like once I entered high school, that was kind of like okay, this is uh, getting to be much, and it just felt awkward. That's a, that, I just remember that awkward feeling of like this isn't uh, I shouldn't be doing this right now. I'm doing it simply <laughs> for the candy. Like this isn't fun. No, no part of this is fun for me. I, I, I personally, I'm not a big fan of dressing up. So mm-hmm. I, uh, yeah, I, I hated doing that. And so I was just like, okay, right, we'll, we'll do this. But, uh, we were out for like maybe 20 minutes. I'm like, yeah, I've had enough here. Let's go home. Like I just feeling awkward and out of place. So, and that was the last time. After that, I was like, "Nah, not, nah, not, not doing that. I'm, I'm just gonna get a job and I'll go buy candy and eat it whenever I want." So, right? Yeah, like that's right. It's called being an adult. All right. <laughs> yeah, I can eat candy whenever I want. Why would I have to wait for one special day? Yeah. Every day is Halloween. Every day when you're an adult, mm-hmm. it's, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. Um, I do- yeah. I did. I kind of have a, had a revelation the other day, though, and I was like, oh, I always just wanted to be an adult so that I can buy my own stuff and make my own decisions and eat as much candy as I want. And now I'm like, I have to stop myself from eating candy. I have to be like, no, you 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 can't eat candy anymore. And I have to like uh, adult myself as if I'm I'm the I'm the child and be like no you eat way too much candy you need to lose some weight and get in shape and you know try to try to kick my own ass so I don't eat candy all the time just because I wanted to when I was a kid yeah <laughs> that's the tough part with being an adult it's the discipline where mm-hmm. you think oh I'm an adult I can do whatever I want and then when you realize you realize why you tell kids not to gorge themselves on candy because then when you do it and you feel like garbage and you're like hmm I uh, I have a pot belly. I feel like crap. I have no energy. All I eat is candy. Maybe I shouldn't do this. And then we, yeah, you're right. You have to like parent yourself, your inner child and tell yourself, this is a bad idea. And you know, it was fun while it lasted. And at least now I know. That's it. And, and sometimes you have to remember, like it, we had a good time together, Candy, you know, but you know, it's, it's come and gone. Now I will say like, uh, there's certain things that I love and I sometimes uh, on certain tours and stuff like that, I'll do like pre-show rituals. I'm, I love pre-show rituals and like something you do. It, I, I find it just boosts the morale right before you go on stage and stuff. And like, um, so, so I, I used to have a thing where I would eat uh, Skittles right before I, not right before, but as like kind of like my pre-show warm up was like, I'd have to have a bag of Skittles. It gave you that like sugar rush and I'd like a little snack, uh, nothing crazy heavy. And yeah, it was just, it was great to, to have that little like boost and of candy and stuff like that right before I went on stage. You Do you ever uh, have anything like that? Like any candy or, or pre-show rituals that you like to do? There isn't anything specific like that where it's always the same thing every time. Mm-hmm. I mean, in terms of pre-show rituals, it's more like I, I might have the same kind of warm-ups, but um, candy is a great idea actually, because like you said, it's light. It gives you a sugar, ru- gives you a sugar rush. Um, I would totally do that, but yeah, there isn't anything I would say that I do. That's, that's like a ritual. I feel like maybe I should implement something just because, just because it, you know, some sort of sense of 
um, repetition and like comfort maybe, but candy's a great idea. Cause I'm a candy person. I'm a sweets person. And I think that would probably give me that extra boost before, uh, like before getting on stage. Yeah. And hopefully we all don't get diabetes from <laughs> eating candy every night before we go on stage. <laughs> and then honestly, probably after the show too. I'd probably buy like a a really big pack and then have some beforehand and then afterwards, like the whole show, I'm just like craving more candy. Uh, so <laughs> that's how that's gonna go. And, and yeah, you don't want a sugar crash like mid set. No, oh, you just have like a bowl of candy on stage with you. I would bring my rolling rack that um, sits like table level, kind of like right at my hip. I would bring that just so I can. Uh, half a bowl of candy mid set, just like grabbing fistful of candy. Oh, that'd be great. You get one of those, um, there's those stick holders that it's almost like, a like a cloth bag. Yeah. But it's full of Skittles. Oh, that'd be amazing. Are you a big fan of Skittles? I'm a huge fan of Skittles. Yeah. Actually okay. I used to be obsessed with sour Skittles in high school and now I cannot touch them. Now I think they're the worst things ever, but I was so obsessed with them in high school and we always had them in the vending machines and I would buy at least two packs a day. Like when people are talking about smoking, they're like, yeah, I smoke two packs a day. I was eating two packs of Skittles a day and I'd be like, man, I'm just craving another pack. I just need to get another one. And uh, yeah, I exhausted my love for sour Skittles, but I, I'm a huge Skittles person now still, just just not the sour ones. Yeah, I am... I don't really go for the sour anything. Um, but my my go-to is either um, the purple or the blue. I think the blue is tropical. And that was like mm. that was like the best. Um, you know, obviously they're all fantastic and all like very, very similar, but the tropical ones were like, ah, amazing. If I could find those, I was in heaven. I don't yeah. I don't know how people can eat them one or two at a time. Like I could literally dump half the bag in my mouth and just have like a, just a mouthful of Skittles. Yeah. Like why do they make them so small? Why don't they just make a giant Skittle and you can just, I don't know, savor for five minutes. Savor one <laughs> my, Skittle. So like take one the whole, giant Skittle, <laughs> take the whole bag and just <laughs> melt it down. Have you ever left a pack of Skittles out in the sun? Like that's pretty much what happens. So maybe, so what you're saying is I need to do that. And I'm saying, yes. Yes. <laughs> well, all right. So my, my big go-to right now, uh, cause I go back and forth on different candies and mine is peanut M&Ms. I cannot get enough peanut M&Ms right now. Like, oh, oh, yeah, they're the best, like the best. And every time I'm like, do I just buy the big bag? Do I spend the like whatever six bucks on the big bag? Because I'm going to eat the small one and I'm going to want more. I know it. And I'm going to have to make another stop and get more. It's just it, it, why? So th let's just buy the big bag. And it's, you know, then then I'm good. I'm set. They're so good. Yeah. I love them so much. All right. So, um, Let's 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 continue this conversation about uh, maybe not candy, but uh, it is the spooky season, as uh, people like to say these days. So I wanted to get into some horror movies. You meant you mentioned to me about uh, during this whole pandemic and everything that you got really into horror movies. Uh, so. Let's uh let's get into like uh top five uh horror movies or even like 
horror movie series because it's hard to pick just one. Most of the time, there's like a couple within a series that are really good. Like if you think about it, I don't even know how many Halloween movies there are now. There's got to be like close to ten or twelve or something. But um, yeah, so like, what are what are your go tos uh, this time of year? Well, first, I need to preface this with. Most of the horror movies that I was watching or have been watching for the last two years uh, are the cheesy, campy 80s um, type movies. So, and, and honestly, I have two types of horror movies that I like because I'm not, I'm not a big fan of gore, like just for straight out gore. I'm just not into that or like body horror. I'm just, I'm not, not into that. Um, but I either like the really campy, um, low budget, um, bad special effects where you're, it's just, it's comedy to me, like though that style of horror, or it needs to be like psychological thriller suspense, that kind of thing, or like dystopian horror or that kind of, um, theme. Um, but the stuff that I was mostly watching, it was mostly in 2020, like we binged a whole bunch of movies last year and I got to get back into it. Um, since, you know, we're, we're almost at the end of 2021, but you know, we're watching, oh man, I mean, a lot of them were just the classic campy, um, you know, cult films like The Gate. I think we watched that twice. Um, and, uh, and, uh, oh man, what is it? Dead Alive or Brain Dead, whatever it is, the one with the monkeys. <laughs> um, that one's great. Um, the one with the lawnmower scene at the end. Yeah, that, that one's, that one's solid. Um, uh, <laughs> And, uh, oh man, what else? I'm just trying to think. I know we, I know you asked about top five horror movies in general. Um, I mean, if we're just talking like more of a serious horror movie, I mean, I'm a huge fan of the shining that's been up there. in one of my favorite movies for years, love that movie. And it's not even, you know, it's really more like suspense than outright horror, I guess. I don't know if it would technically count to some people as a horror movie, but, um, I love that kind of movie, just the suspense and thrillers. And, you know, there's, there's murder in, in movies like that, but it's not just straight up gore. So it's like, I don't usually, you know, I steer away from like hostile or saw like those kind of movies. It's not really my jam. Um, but let me think, Oh man. I mean, we watched, um, Oh, what else was, what else was just like good, bad. I just love good, bad movies. Just the, just the cheesy. Have you watched uh, Tucker and Dale versus evil? No, no, I haven't. I would highly suggest that if you're into uh, comical horrors. Uh, it, yes. Yeah, it's it's pretty uh, pretty amazing. And <laughs> it's just terrible acting all around. And yeah, everything about it is just fantastic. I love it. It's a great oh, one. Yeah. That's, I'm adding it to my list. That is great. Yeah, I love that. I love that kind of stuff. I mean, there's also the, there's the, um, the bad horror movies that were bad, um, like they're self-aware where like they were purposely bad. They knew that it was going to be bad, but then there's also the ones where they tried to make it spooky or they tried to make it freaky and it was, it was just bad. Mm-hmm. And that's almost funnier to me. Like the ones where, you know, it's supposed to be scary. <laughs> it's just bad. Like, I, I just, I just love that. Um, but I mean, especially it's easier for me to talk about some of the worst horror movies I've ever seen. Than, than the best. All right. So what, what are the I, worst ones? <laughs> oh man, we watched some really just the worst movie I've ever, I think just period, the worst movie I've ever seen is called Street Trash. And it's like a low budget horror. 
Um, and it had potential to be good, even as like a good, bad, campy movie. And it's just one of the absolute worst films I've ever seen in my life. Like what a waste of time. And it's just, it's so disconnected. It's just, there are just some cringe scenes where it's, I don't know. Um, I don't know. There's this one where, you know, you'd think that it would be, it would be entertaining at the very least, but it just doesn't make sense. And there's a scene where they're just like, this guy gets his dick cut off and they're just all tossing it back and forth around a parking lot. And it's just like, oh my God. <laughs> in principle, that could have maybe been a good scene, but it wasn't. Yeah. But I don't know. No. <laughs> no. I mean, speaking of body horror, but it was just, it was poorly done. But anyway, that, that was a God awful movie. And then there's movies where uh, they know it's, it's supposed to be bad. Like it's just supposed to be campy. Um, oh, what was it? Uh, Dude Bro Party Massacre 3. There is no one or two. It's just three. It's just three. Oh my God. That, yeah. That's incredible. That's uh, that's going yeah. on my list. I need to watch that. Dude Bro Party Massacre 3. Yeah. I, I do recommend that one. It's another like low budget, self-aware movie, but it's entertaining. And it's it's exactly how it sounds. It's like the frat bros. And of course, it's just kind of like the, the typical, you know, teen horror kind of uh stereotypes and that's great oh man and then there's like tammy and the t-rex i mean i don't know i mean so so for someone who really loves horror like they're i don't know if they're going to be so into these kind of movies um but uh uh oh i mean then we were watching all the classics like reanimator and those those kind of you know typical 80s cult films and I love them and I feel like I've been missing out on this whole genre my whole life. And I know that it's just, it's such a thing where so many people are into the, like the 80 kind of eighties cheesy horror and there's, there's conventions and it's amazing. There's podcasts and I get it now. I totally get it. I absolutely love that stuff. Yeah. Um, and honestly, I've never been a massive horror fan. Um, but there are certain ones that like, I've really, really enjoyed um and and one one of them was like i i love the halloween series in general Mm -hmm. um i know it's just like a it's a classic though um and when rob zombie redid the the series like from like from scratch essentially like he he just like redid the whole idea of it and the first movie he did really uh drew me in i i i love the series more after watching that and then i go back and watch the older ones and and seem to enjoy it more uh because it just went into the backstory i'm super into the backstory of why these people kind of are the way they are and he went into like um like why why everything happened in the first place and yeah it was, i thought it was really sick uh the the first one honestly i never i i couldn't really get into the the second i think he did a third one as well rob zombie um but that that first halloween that that rob zombie did was absolutely phenomenal i know that i watched i watched one of his movies last year and i can't remember which one it was i can't remember it was good uh, I don't think it was. It wasn't Halloween related, though. It was something else. No. Um, was it House of a Thousand Corpses? It wasn't. But I feel like did he do like a like a prequel to one of those? He what did. Was it? I almost want to Google now. 
he did uh he had House of a Thousand Corpses and then Devil's Rejects and then he just released 2019 uh Three from Hell. That's uh, the one. That's yeah? the one we watched. I haven't I liked it. I haven't seen Three from Hell yet. Uh I'm a huge fan of Devil's Rejects. I thought that was an amazing uh amazing movie to watch. But House of a Thousand Corpses was okay. It was good. But Devil's Rejects was fucking fantastic. That one, that one's still on my list. I haven't seen it. There's, there's the thing is because I've only fairly recently discovered my enjoyment for these kind of movies mm-hmm. that I've, I've got a very exhaustive list that I have. I'm like working my way through. And I started with a bunch of them, like a bunch of '80s ones, kind of the the classics, like a lot of the cult classics. But yeah, there's so many more um, to watch. Oh yeah. Oh, there's tons. There's tons. And it's that time of year. Uh, so get on it. You know, I think you got your night, <laughs> your night, your couple next couple nights planned anyways. So, yeah. Uh, all right. Let's let's change gears a little bit here uh, and talk about some something actually drum related, I guess. Yeah. Maybe. Scary uh, drumming. Oh, no. <laughs> Um, so you got a lot on the go and coming up, uh, to, to end out this year. I know the last like two years, uh, it's like everything that couldn't happen over the last two years is now jammed into like two months, you know, (laughs) where you, yeah, you, you have a, a ton of dates with the Annie Queens coming up. Super quick, November 5th, you'll be in Victoria, and then you kind of go from the West Coast out to, like, Calgary, Edmonton, uh, do that, and then you have some more dates with Danko Jones uh, through December, which is awesome. Uh, that You're playing some, some big rooms on that one, and uh, going to be hella fun. Um, and... Uh, and then you've announced uh, that Conquer Divide has uh, has a, a tour uh, kind of early next year, uh, which is awesome as well. Um, so like lots of lots of playing and and touring uh, from your end of things. There, are you stoked to get back on the road? Oh, I'm so excited! I'm so excited. Like one of the big reasons that I that I'm in bands is to play live and tour and um you know some people are really like their studio people or they love writing or whatever and i like writing um but for me like the big thing is the rush i get on stage i just love playing love playing with with other people and i love playing on stage and um so i'm really looking forward to that and um but you know there's just so much coming up i think that and, and to go from a virtual standstill for the last two years to everything ramping up again, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot to, to take in because I've been, I was so accustomed to being, well, I mean, relatively busy for a while. And then the lockdowns happened and it's like, I've been sitting at home for two years and now suddenly it's like, Oh, I've got stuff to do again. And you know, it's exciting, but it's also a little bit overwhelming. Yeah. And, and between all this, uh, you got some studio stuff going on as well. So, yeah, it, it you're just like nonstop right now. So. I can't wait to sleep at the end of December. <laughs> That'll be I, like my Christmas season. Yeah, your Christmas vacation is just uh, some some eggnog and sleeping, and that's it. Yes, yeah, yes. Like, I actually have eggnog in my fridge right now, as of yesterday. Oh, so it already starts early. I, I know. Christ. I'm shocked. It's out before Halloween. Oh my god. 
are people going to be drinking it like for Halloween now? Are they going to make Halloween eggnog? Is that going to become a thing? I don't know. As an eggnog lover and self-proclaimed connoisseur, I'm okay with this. I I can't say that I have ever been a fan and uh, definitely not anymore <laughs> that i'm not drinking either i'm like no definitely oh. not. uh never I've like never... i don't even drink it with rum i just drink no. it like out of the carton Ugh. Ugh. no no it's too, it, honestly, to me it tastes close. like vanilla ice cream <laughs> okay that does not that's not what it tastes like to me so Weird. But it tastes, it's too creamy for me and I'm lactose intolerant. Oh. So I'm like, oh. no, I don't even know I if there's lactose in it, but it just, the it, it tastes too creamy that it, that it turns my stomach immediately. No, thank you. No. Oh yeah. Uh, no. Yeah. Definitely don't, don't have it. It's full of, yeah, don't. Yeah. No, um, I'm going to stay away from that. But, you know, you enjoy it. That's great. You know, know. and then your Um, Christmas vacation, just like live in your pajamas and and sip eggnog and sleep. That's it. That's all I want. That's all I want. (laughs) Well, you're going to need some rest uh, for uh, 2022 because it's going to be another crazy year. So, yeah, well, that's what I'm hoping, you know, I'm hoping. And there's all these other potential tours shaping up as well. The one that's confirmed is the one um, in March, April with Attack Attack, and that's just the Eastern mm-hmm. U.S. for, for Conquer Divide. Yeah. Um, but so far, I mean, what we've got coming up, it's like I leave next week, uh, we get in a rehearsal, we fly out to Victoria, uh, so then I've got those Western Canada dates with the Anti-Queens, we go to, directly to Toronto, into the studio for a week, uh, and then we do drum tracking, and Corey, you're going to be there for that, I'm so grateful Yay. So stoked. Um, and uh, and then I'm home for one night and then I fly to Michigan uh, and then I'm there for two weeks with rehearsing with Conquer Divide because we have a showcase. Uh, so we have a show in Michigan. And then uh, after that, I fly directly to Toronto again. And then we have one rehearsal and then we start the Danko Jones uh, run. And then I come home December 19th. So that's pretty much my next, uh, the rest of my winter or the rest of my 2021. And that's, that sucks because I'm going to be in Montreal. Um, I think while you're on the road, uh, yeah, almost like exactly. I will be in Montreal recording the new Crimson record from December 6th to 12th. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then you're going to be... Yeah, you're gonna be in Toronto. So I'm actually gonna miss that uh, that Toronto show with, uh, with Danko Jones. I didn't think about that, but yeah, I will actually be in Montreal during that time. So unfortunately, I will not be able to make it. Uh, Bummer. I mean, you should come to. Uh, I mean, if you can get to like Oshawa, I think we have. I think the Oshawa show is the 18th. But yeah. Yeah. Is it okay? No, on here, Oshawa's not even listed on here. On the dates you guys just posted. What? What? Yeah. Did Oshawa get canceled? No. That's weird. You got St. Catharines on the 8th, Maxwell's in Waterloo on the 10th, uh, Phoenix on the 11th, London on the 14th, and Ottawa on the 17th. Yeah, I I totally forgot about that when we were talking about dates, that I'm going, I'm going to be in Montreal while you're in Toronto, so... Bummer. Well, I mean, at least like we'll we'll see lots of each other the the studio week when I'm in Toronto. It'll be a good time. It will be. Um, And hopefully, I can make it out to London then. 
Um, let's see about that on the 14th. That would be awesome. But, yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll make something happen. Um, but yeah, um, with the studio, um, is there, do you have a different mindset when you're going into studio compared to like a live show? Like, is there anything that changes, um, like mentally for you when you, you're going into a, a studio session? I find studios a lot more stressful personally. And I think really? part of it is because I'm just, I'm, I'm much more experienced live drummer. So for me, that's like my element. That's my zone playing live. And because you, you, you are a part of a group and you're all just working together to, to get these songs out to the audience. And so I'm so much more relaxed when I'm playing live, but in the studio, I'm suddenly thinking about, okay, I need to make sure I'm playing accurately. I need to make sure that I'm getting the sounds out of the kit that, that need to come out. Um, obviously there's that as well when you're playing live, but it's even more important when you're under a microscope and, uh, you know, it's knowing full well, you're probably going to have to do a couple of takes, at least for me. And, um, it's definitely a, a different mindset and I'm trying to get past being stressed, um, in the studio. I don't want it to be a stressful experience. It's more just like a focused, um, mindset, uh, and just like prepping, you know, making sure I know exactly what I'm, what I need to do. Well, I think that's a, a big part of it is because live you are feeding off the energy of the audience. Totally. Yeah. And I, and I'm not thinking about what I had just done and if we're going to have to redo it, it's like, what's done is done and we can move on because it's a live show. We, we don't, we aren't going to go back. I'm not second guessing myself as much because I'm not thinking, Oh, was that a good enough take? Or did I nail that fill exactly? Or are we going to need to do it again? It's like, no matter what happens happens. And I think that that's why I go into a live environment so much more relaxed because to me, it's like, whatever happens happens, I'm still going to do my absolute best. But you know, if there's a mess up or something happens, like we just have to keep going. And some people might find that more stressful, but I find that less stressful. Um, whereas in a studio setting, it's like everything's very meticulously organized and planned. And, um, and it's funny because I'm usually more of that kind of person in terms of, I like being mentally prepared for things. I like being organized and mm -hmm. knowing what is to come, but there's still just something about, you know, the red light when, when, when they hit record and suddenly it's like, I feel like I'm overanalyzing and I, it's something I'm working on trying to not do that so much. Well, I definitely, I feel you on that, but the studio is the only place where you, you get a redo when you're in a live setting or like in most of life. Uh, there, there isn't, uh, you can't just like go back and redo things. Um, so I try to keep that mindset where it's just like, I try to keep the creativity flowing and I'll try stuff that I may not have planned out and I may not know how it's going to sound and I'll just try it. And if it works, it works. But if not, then you can always redo it which is like the best part of the studio. Um, there is always going to be that red light that you can't get past. Like as soon as that red light hits, you're just like, okay. And you get nervous and then you can't perform. And it happens to so many guys. But um, I think once you get comfortable and 
and you're in the studio like all week. So you have lots of time to kind of like get in the groove of things. And I think by the time that you're actually recording, you're going to be so comfortable in that environment that it's not going to phase you. Right. The way that it normally would when you just walk into a studio and then it's like, all right, set up your kit and let's go. Cause that, yeah, that can I'm be looking stressful. forward to that for this session. Yeah. Cause I don't usually get to do that. I don't usually get to mm-hmm. um, rehearse in the studio prior to tracking. It's usually like, let's just set up, test everything and go. So I am looking forward to that. I think that that is going to bring down the pressure a little bit from, for this session, but it is funny though, that, you know, even you would think that logically it would be less stressful in a studio environment because you can get re- you can get do overs, you can fix things, you can punch in, you can redo a take. Um, but you know, I don't think it's really like a a logical thing in terms of um, you know the whole red light syndrome. Uh, you know, it's really a it's really more of just like a something else that I think we need to to work on those of us, those of us that get a little bit, you know, where we freeze a little bit when, when they hit record. So yeah, yeah, we'll see. I think it's going to be a good experience. I think it's going to be a good session. And, um, yeah, I think so. Like, um, recording in general, um, I, I've never been comfortable. I've never been happy with a recording that I've ever done. Um, I think that's just, just me. And there is something about being in the studio and everything being under a microscope. And then you have the rest of your band, plus your producer and maybe like a, a secondary producer or whatever, all sitting there listening to every single hit that you are doing. And it's like, there's something about like just being put under that microscope that is slightly uncomfortable, you know? Yeah. You can't hide behind your, your bandmates. You can't hide behind, uh, feedback you can't hide behind uh the audience or any of like the live stage sound you can't hide Mm -hmm. everything is is audible and that's exactly what it was like going out to drumeo as well which is something i knew exactly what i was getting into but when you know that especially when you're doing the live lessons with drumeo and and people are watching the members area they're on youtube they're on facebook wherever they're watching it live that you know that everything is mic'd up perfectly and you know they're doing their best to mix it live and every and and it's almost all drummers watching, you know. It's not like you're yeah. you're you're in a live show where it's just you know some people are musicians, but most people are just fans, and it's absolutely terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I on I couldn't imagine uh, doing a live lesson, especially with a platform as huge as Drumeo as well. Like, you know that there are people watching. It's not like when I go live on Instagram or something where it's just like, okay, well, there might be a couple people here, <laughs> you know? Like, no, like, Drumeo is uh, extremely well-known, and you, you know there are tons of drummers watching and listening and holding on to your every word and what you're playing and everything. So, yeah, um, congrats to you for getting through that and not having a complete uh, breakdown uh, live there because <laughs> I think that's what I I probably would have done. Uh. Oh, it's it's funny because, so I did the live lesson and then I did a couple of um, uh, pre-recorded lessons and, and a course. And I thought that the pre-recorded stuff was going to be a breeze. And for the reason that we mentioned earlier, you can redo things, you can punch in, you can edit, like 
blah, 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 blah. So I was not nervous for that part at all. I was extremely nervous for the live lesson, partly because I was like, what if I, I tend to ramble. So I was like, if I ramble, like I had my notes with me, but I was worried about talking too much about nothing. And I was worried that I was going to screw up my, my songs. Cause I was playing three songs and, uh, and it was the complete opposite when I was there. Uh, the live lesson I thought went really well. And, you know, there were still a couple of mistakes in the songs, but it wasn't anything huge and it was fine. And I watched back and I was like, yeah, this is good enough. You know, I didn't, it wasn't a train wreck. And I thought that the lesson progressed naturally. And I thought that the live lesson was really good. And I struggled so much with the pre-recorded stuff. Like I got, I got the red light syndrome, uh, you know, when I, when I had to just give the lessons, like it was unbelievable. And I had to ask for a teleprompter <laughs> to help me out because it was like, I was overthinking. I was over explaining. I did all the things I was worried about do- doing in the live lesson. And I did it in the pre-recorded stuff. And so now I know, now I know, <laughs> um, but it was a learning experience for sure. Yeah. Uh, honestly, I have uh, been doing some more video content and stuff like that. And I realized that I need to write down everything that I'm planning on saying. Even when I do the intros and stuff for this podcast, I if I don't write down what I am saying so I can either like read it or have like some kind of visual cues, I it takes me like 15 tries to get it because I just like start rambling or like saying all kinds of stuff that I, I didn't intend on saying or whatever it may be. So I totally feel you on that, like needing something to kind of follow and keep you on track. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I'm the same way when it, when it comes to any kind of self-filmed videos as well. Absolutely. It needs to be, you know, somewhat scripted. Um, and then I can, once it's scripted, I can go off the script and back, but I just need like the framework just yeah. to have something to fall back on. And it's just, it's funny. It's kind of like having that click track, you know, like having a metronome. So, you know, the tempo, you can push the tempo, you can pull it, you know, whatever, but having it there. So it's like, I, you know, your place as well, you know, it just makes me feel more comfortable and at home when I have a metronome in my ear. 100%. Same. It's the same with me. And I I went many years without playing with a metronome live, for example, and, or practicing to a metronome in general. Oh God. But, um, when I started playing with one, when I started playing with a metronome live and it just gives you that safety net, like that security blanket, even if you aren't trying to be, you aren't trying to play robotically, you aren't trying to nail it exactly, but it's still there. Just, just to give you that that extra security and what a game changer it is. And now I hate playing live without it. Like it's just, it just needs to be there in the back somewhere. It doesn't even need to, even with anti-queens, like the anti-queens aren't about being a super, you know, um, it's not like a technical band. It's like, it's pretty organic. It's pretty loose. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the whole vibe of the band. But so, you know, I don't try to follow every, like make sure I'm, dead on the click every single time. Like it just wouldn't make sense for the band, but I, I don't like, you know, we have one song that we're, that we play where I don't have a click, um, live, but you know, even with that song, I'm like, Oh God, there's no click, you know? And it's weird. Cause I'm so used to just having it there. So you, yeah. have, you play to a click live with anti-queens. Yes. Yes. Wow. Wow. I would not think that, that 
you would play to a click with them. But um, I will say, like, they are a extremely tight band anytime I, I've seen them. And uh, even though it's punk rock and, like you said, it's a kind of like a or organic feel to everything, I think having that metronome there live just, like, allows everybody to just lock in together right and you can yeah you can always like push and pull to certain parts if need be and um i don't think it's detrimental to the sound if you fall off the click and just like or like feel the energy and be like ah this isn't right and and turn it off or something i don't think it's you guys don't run like backing tracks or anything like that right no no not at all yeah Yeah. so i mean the whole the, the reason that I like it so much is is part is part of it is just to make sure, like I'm definitely one of those drummers. I, I, well, I don't even know if I would do it anymore because I've been playing live with clicks now for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was definitely one of those drummers where like the adrenaline would, would kick in and I would just play things too fast and then you know and not even notice that that I was playing the song way too fast and then no one else could keep up and like the guitarists would get screwed up because they couldn't play it fast enough or whatever. Um, I really wanted to avoid that uh, with this band. And, and and I know, especially because it's a lot of just boom cha boom cha, and, you know, it's it's pretty basic drumming, yeah. that it's way more likely that I'm going to speed up uh, with the adrenaline and excitement of live. So the click just, um, like, it almost, like, holds me back from pushing too hard. And I think that that, for me, is, is pretty important with, with this band, just, you know, especially because uh, the stuff I'm doing, I can play faster. Than, than the song calls for because it's pretty simple. It's just boom cha boom cha uh, for for a lot of it, and and so I can go a lot faster. And so if, uh, but but it doesn't mean the guitarists can. You know, maybe the the strumming pattern they're using, they're not going to be able to keep up. And I don't want to stress them out live and have them screw up. So it really just keeps us on track and makes sure that I'm not I'm not pushing the song too fast. Yeah, I I know because even even with uh, Crimson uh, we didn't always play to a click live and i remember back in those days like i was probably pushing like 210 220 on certain songs and we all had the adrenaline and we were young and you know so it was fine but if i were to take like uh say like a johnny no cash and the celtic outlaws song and and push those tempos too much it would fuck up his vocals his vocal patterns and in, in music like that are very uh structured and 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 put together in a way that if it is outside of a certain tempo it's going to not come across the way that it's supposed to and it's gonna fuck him up i know it so i always push for clicks live for them but they didn't want to so <laughs> I, oh, okay. I i had to uh i knew I had to mentally tell myself, like, I can't push this. Every single song I had to be like, no, I can't push these tempos. I need to sit in my pocket and just, like, live there, and that's it. Like, I needed to have that restraint on myself, uh, or else Mm -hmm. I, you know, it it would fuck everything up. So, yeah. It's a good test, I think, of just our abilities as drummers to just to stay calm, I think, in a live Mm -hmm. environment. And, you know, it's it's... Maybe I don't need to, but you know, after all of this, maybe I don't need to play with a click live with anti queens. But I just, I just like it. Like I just like the security of having it, just in case. But um, I think it's a, yeah, it's a good test of of 
restraint as a drummer to be able to hold down the proper tempos live and not get caught up in the adrenaline. It's definitely a test. Definitely is a test. Uh, well, Sam, I would like to thank you for coming on and chatting with me today for our spooky Halloween episode where we mainly just talked about click tracks, which can be a very scary thing for some drummers, <laughs> I guess. Um, yeah. Uh, so thank you very much for coming on. It's been a uh, great chatting with you. Thanks so much, Corey. And, uh, happy Halloween. Yes. Happy Halloween to everybody. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, then don't forget to share with your friends, post on social media, and tag us. If you're listening on Apple Music, then please leave us a review. And if you're on Spotify, give us a follow. If you want to continue this conversation even further, then join us on Facebook on our We're Talking Drums community group. Till next time, keep drumming. <laughs>